We certainly have a lot in Christ. We can rejoice in him and rest in him. And because of Christ, we can bring glory to the Lord. We can be thankful for others. And we can pray. And in the context of praying, I'm not looking for a dogmatic answer. In it, the questions that I'm going to raise. But imagine that you're experiencing, and maybe you don't need to imagine, you may be going through a trial at the present time or some difficulty in life. It might be physical, might be relational, might be financial, might be a job struggle or a school struggle. But as you think about your present trial or one that you may go through or have been through in the past, which would you choose? And I'm not trying to back you into a corner, but just to think about what we're going to discuss this morning. 300 people praying for you in general. Or one, one person who is righteous praying for you according to God's will. Not looking for a response from you, but just to think. Which would you prefer? And again, just think. Prayer in the name of Jesus, that is God's will through sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, moves God. This morning we want to consider praying for our church, praying for other saints, for God's glory. Whether it be praying together, whether you're home praying for others. My intent is not to expound any one passage, but to slowly and thoughtfully read a number of passages and then make some observations. I didn't go to the text looking for something. I considered the text. And in light of what the text says, I'm responding this morning. And our observations will be coming from the text. How should a leader, an elder, a pastor pray for those they seek to lead? How should a husband, a father pray for his wife, his children? How should we as believers pray for one another? Let's take our Bibles and turn to Romans, chapter 15. Considering a number of passages, in Romans chapter 14 and 15, we find the Apostle Paul, as he writes to the church in Rome, after presenting something on sin and salvation and who people are in Christ, the sovereignty of God, Living that out, he talks about the weak and the strong. Some people's faith allows them to eat any food. Other people's faith says we only eat vegetables. One person's faith allows them to treat every day the same. Another person's faith says I got to treat certain days special. But notice Paul's prayer in chapter 15 and verse 5 in the context of Strong in the weak. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify God 
and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say those who are non-mediators and those who are mediators to try to come to agreement. He prays that there would be a spirit of unity. In verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Indisputable matters, in matters of faith, meat-eaters and non-meat-eaters, sacred day, not a sacred day, Paul prays. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul's writing, obviously, to the church in Ephesus. They apparently had some issues in the church because he, later on in the book, talks to them about the words they use, talks to them about forgiveness, he talks to them about sexual morality and so on. But he is thankful that they are maturing in faith and love. And notice how he prays for this group of believers that have difficulties, but yet are responsive to God, beginning with verse 17 or verse 16. I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power that is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present world but also the one to come and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way he's writing to a group of believers that have issues and problems like you and I do financial problems relational struggles job struggles physical trials. And he says, I'm praying that you might have a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. In the midst of a political scene in the world in that day that was not always stable, what does he pray? That they may grasp The hope to which he had been called, the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints, and God's incomparably great power that is at work in them. Go over to chapter 3 of Ephesians. Paul talked about the fact that Christ breaks down the middle wall that divided the Jew and Gentile in chapter 2. The body of Christ is a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And it's through the body that he wants to display his wisdom, that is, the wisdom of God. 
that is revealed in the body of Christ. And it's through Christ that Paul and we can pray. Notice what he says in verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I'm sure the church in Ephesus had some people that were older and further along in life that were experiencing some physical trials. Some of them probably quote-unquote, retired. I'm not sure if they used that term back then. I pray that God, out of his glorious riches, might strengthen you with power in your inner being so that Christ might strengthen your hearts through faith. The church in Ephesus, as we and as a church today have trials and difficulties relationally, We go through physical trials, and sometimes we say, God, I've had enough. I pray that they might grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Let's go over to Philippians chapter 1, the next book. Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. He is thankful for them. And again, the church at Philippi had some issues. Apparently, there was some division. He talks a lot about joy. But he's thankful for their partnership in the gospel. He was confident that God had begun a work in them, and he was continuing that. Notice how he prays. And again, a church that is going through the ups and downs of life as we do today. Philippians 1 and verse 9, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best. It may be pure and blameless on the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Now imagine there's a businessman in Philippi, and he's going to make a decision. There's a couple in Philippi, and they're trying to make some decisions concerning some finances. And they say to Paul, pray for us. And Paul says, I prayed for you. Well, how have you prayed for us? I'm praying that your love might abound more and more. Paul, did you hear what we said? We're talking about some decisions here. Yes, I heard you, and I'm praying for you. I'm praying that your love might abound more and more. in knowledge and depth of insight so that you can discern what is best. Paul recognized daily living is related to our love life. 
So as you pray for other believers, pray about their love life. And I'm not using the way the world uses it. That our love might abound more and more so that we may know what is best and be blameless on the day of Christ. Go over to Colossians chapter 1, the next book in the Bible. Paul writing to the believers in Colossae, they were having some troubles, difficulties. There was some false doctrine being promoted, and he writes encouraging them to focus on Christ. And he says, I'm praying for you. So as they would go to their jobs, as they would live their family lives, as they would go through physical trials, as they have financial difficulties, he says in verse 9, for this, very, or for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Asking God to fill you with a knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Being fruitful in every good work. Growing in our knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So that you might have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to God the Father who qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Paul uses long sentences sometimes. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Writing to a group of people that live like we do, have the same issues as we do in daily life. And he says, I'm praying that you might be filled with the knowledge of God's will. With spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that you might live a life worthy of him. Let's go over to First Thessalonians. Paul writing to a group of believers that experienced some difficulty as the church began, having some misconceptions concerning the Lord's return, and apparently some of them weren't even working because he thought the Lord was going to return. But nevertheless, God at work in this body of believers. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning with verse 9, How can we thank God enough for you and return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. Now you had a desire to see them. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen you your heart, so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our Lord Je- or our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all his holy ones. So going through a physical trial, and Paul says, I'm praying for you that you'll be strengthened in your heart, that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes. Let's go over to chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. May God himself, the God of grace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless 
at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. And he will do it. Praying for other believers that they'll be sanctified through and through. I love verse 24. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Writes a second letter to them. Again, facing some misunderstanding concerning the return of Christ. They had been growing. They're responsive. But still have some issues. And the testimony of the gospel was evident in their life. And in verse 11, he says, With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may count you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours, and every act prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So as you walk with God, there's some saints, as they walk with God in Thessalonica, they're being sensitive to God, and they have some plans. Paul says, I'm praying that God might fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by faith. Oh, I think I want to do this. And Paul's praying, yes, I'm praying that that might be a reality. I'm praying that the name of the Lord Jesus will be glorified in you. And you will be glorified in him according to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We could turn to Philippians chapter 4. We find there Paul prays for Philemon. Did I say Philippians? Philemon. Philemon, verses 4 through 7. We find Paul prays for Philemon. You can look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 7 through 10 where Paul prays about his own thorn in the flesh. And Lord willing, we'll consider that passage next week. As it relates to praying about trials in life. We won't turn to James 5, but there we find James... Give some insight in praying for those who are sick. Praying in each passage is a response to what God is already doing in the lives of the saints. Now let's think about some possible observations. With the exception of the last three references all deal with local churches as a whole being prayed for by a leader. Prayer is for local bodies of saints who were responsive to Christ. Just interesting, he's praying for the body. I think I give some insight in how we can pray for one another if we're praying together as a body or praying for others individually. The response of each member influences the entire body. That is why Paul desires for the entire body to respond to the Lord. The response of one member influences the entire body. If you don't believe me, if you're willing, come up here. You put your pinky in there and I'll give it a little squeeze and see if your whole body don't respond. 
So he's praying for the entire body. He wants the entire body to be responsive. And there's joys and there's struggles individually, but he wants the entire body to respond. Leader prayer for followers, as Paul and those he worked with prayed for followers, it didn't end with prayer. They wrote, they encouraged, they rebuked, they pursued a relationship. It seems like prayer alone is not sufficient. Yes, he prayed, but it didn't stop there. The focus of prayers is not outward circumstances or changes in these circumstances, but the inner character of the local body and experiencing God in Christ. Ponder that. In all of Paul's prayers, he doesn't pray for a change in the outward circumstance. He prays about how they're responding and would have wisdom in responding and so on. Thought question. What good is it or what good is a change in a church or in individual circumstances if they do not experience God in Christ? How many of our prayers today for our church For believers in our church are more seeking change than knowing and experiencing Christ. Another observation. Paul was not concerned about an easy life for the saints, but to know and experience God in Christ for the glory of God in Christ. He doesn't say, Lord, give them easy lives. He doesn't say, Lord, get them out of this mess. He doesn't say, Lord, stop the persecution. His prayer is that they would know Christ. They would know God. They would experience him. That their plans in the midst of life might be fulfilled. Other than 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through 10, the prayers of the epistles are related to believers blooming, obeying, experiencing body life, knowing Christ in their present circumstance. That is a dependency upon in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul prays about his thorn in the flesh. Like I said, next week, Lord willing, we'll consider that passage. But other than that, He doesn't pray about a lot of specific issues. He wants believers to bloom, to obey, to experience God and Christ where they are. So I stop in to visit John Wildoner and I say, John Wildoner, how are you doing? And he says, I'm doing pretty good considering I'm dying and I'm experiencing Christ in the process of my physical trial. And God doesn't seem to want to fix me, so I want to die well. And I say, John, I'm praying for you to that end. That you'll die, your last breath will be one of experiencing God in Christ. There may be another case where you, we say, hmm, does God want to fix or doesn't God want to fix? And Scripture says something about that in James 5. But we can pray with confidence that believers bloom and obey and experience Christ where they are.
Christ and our life in him is always sufficient in any and every circumstance. That comes through in Paul's prayers. Praying for the believers in Colossae. False doctrine. Praying for the believers in Rome who were going through difficulties along the way. Persecution. God is sufficient. God may fix sometimes. God may change his circumstance sometimes. Sometimes he may not. But recognizing God is sufficient. Running from a situation in life and or seeking escape without knowing God or Christ yields shallowness of character, selfishness, pride, and movement towards idolatry. Again, as you read the prayers and the books and which are prayers of appeal, just seeking escape. I'm not saying it's wrong to seek escape. I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. I'm not saying don't try to change your financial situation. But in the process, seeking to know God and to know Christ. Otherwise, there tends to be a shallowness of character. Selfishness and pride. The way we pray for others and the way we pray about our own circumstances shows much about our heart. Am I more interested in escape or in knowing God and knowing Christ? If we don't know or experience Christ in our present circumstance, we'll probably not know him in the next one. Years ago, when I was working in Chattanooga, I don't know if I'll say joy, but I'll use the word joy. The joy or privilege of being a janitor, I guess that's a term used back in those days, in Red Bank School District. It was not a pleasant job. I thought guys could be messy and dirty having spent years in high school myself. And then cleaning girls' bathrooms in that high school, I thought, man, what are they doing here? I looked at the ceiling and I thought, how'd that get there? (laughs) Then I went to another job, and that didn't pay very well. I went to another job delivering newspapers. That was much more to my liking. But if I said, God, get me out of this cleaning bathrooms and so on, and I wasn't experiencing Christ there, I get into the newspaper route, I'm not going to experience Christ there. Paul's concern is that there's an experience of Christ. In the circumstance, it may change, but experience Christ. The next circumstance, experience Christ. Because life is not a piece of pie where everything is peaches and cream. We get out of one difficulty, we're going to end another one somewhere along the line because that's life. But experiencing Christ along the way. If our prayer is anything out of knowing, experiencing Christ, we may be praying outside of God's will. Now please understand what I say there. If we make our primary focus, get me out of it, 
and we neglect knowing and experiencing Christ, be careful. Again, I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. I'm not saying don't try to change the circumstance and so on. But know Christ. Paul prays that way for the believers in the various churches. Just asking a question, not looking for a response. How much of our praying at all levels seems to involve the outer person, the circumstance, the outer change, rather than one's heart, attitude, soul, beliefs, and character. My mom made a move from the house she lived in for, I think, some 13 years, moved into assisted living. That was her decision. And she is struggling with that and talked to her a number of times this week and she would cry on the phone while we were talking. And I say, Mom, I'm praying for you. Not so much a change in your circumstance, but that you'll know and experience Christ in this change. Think about where we are as a church. How do we pray? God gives us some very clear guidance on how to pray. As you think about praying for others, pray. That in their situation, they may blossom, they may know Christ, experience Christ. And if there's something that can be done and there's a change in their circumstances, praise the Lord. But pray well in light of God and Christ at work in them. And again, as I mentioned, next week we'll consider 2 Corinthians chapter 12. What do we do when we're in a circumstance that we really would like to change? How should we pray? How should we respond? Let's pray together. Father, you make it clear in your word that we have freedom in coming to you in prayer. And we pray for our local church, just some of the passages that we discussed, not near all of them, but that you might, in light of the fact that you give endurance encouragement, you might, uh, among us here at Roaring Brook, give us a spirit of unity among ourselves as we seek to follow Christ. So that with one heart and one mouth, we may glorify you as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know we have differences in various areas of life. But in the midst of those differences, we may have differences about music. We may have differences about what we eat. We may have different political situations and how we view them. But in the midst of that, you give us a spirit of unity and we with one heart and mouth glorify you. I pray too, Father, for our local body here at Roaring Brook, that you might give us a spirit of wisdom and understanding so that we might know you better. 
Lord, there's people facing physical trials in our church, relational struggles, financial difficulties, struggles in the job. May they know Christ. May they experience you, Father, in those trials and difficulties. May their love life abound more and more so that they will know what is best, how they should respond, what help to seek, where to find encouragement. I pray too, Father, for our local church that we might rest more and more in the fact that we have a hope to which you've called us. And we know this past week we had a transition of power in our country as far as who is president and vice president and cabinet and so on. And for some people, they say great, and other people say not so good. In times in our country or times in our world where things are uncertain, may we grasp that we've been called to a hope that is beyond this earth. But may we have skill to live well while we are here. May we grasp the riches of your inheritance in the saints, Father. Father, it blows me away that your inheritance is in us. We who battle with worry, we who battle with anger, we who battle with frustration, we who use words that are not building, but yet you're at work in us. May we grasp the riches of your inheritance in us. And may we grasp in the daily joys and victories and ups and downs of life, physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, relationally, that your power is at work in us beyond what we can ask or comprehend and what that power looks like as we respond to our situation, maybe not being fixed or changed as fast as we would like, as we go through an ongoing financial difficulty, as we have treated someone well in a relationship, but yet they do not respond well to us, may we experience your power at work in us. We go to jobs, Father. Sometimes they're easy. Sometimes they're more difficult. May we experience your power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.